Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. President Biden reassuring Americans that the banking system is still safe after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed last week. Shares of First Republic Bank plunge despite the lender telling customers their deposits are safe. Who should be held accountable for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank? The Federal Reserve, the depositors, regulators, the bank itself, or no one is to blame? We have analysis. Biden approves an oil drilling project in Alaska, a victory for proponents and a major blow to climate groups. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. A volatile trading day on Wall Street following the second and third largest bank failures in U.S. history. Bank stocks tumbled on worries about what's next to break, but many other stocks rose on hopes this will force the Federal Reserve to take it easy on rate hikes. Goldman Sachs now predicting the Fed won't deliver a rate hike at its next meeting. Main indexes closed mixed today. The Dow fell 91 points or 0.3 percent. S&P lost 6 points or 0.2 percent. NASDAQ rose 50 points or half a percent. President Biden reassuring Americans the U.S. banking system remains safe. Following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank last week, SVB failed after a bank run on Thursday. The bank's depositors was pulling out $42 billion, was the largest lender failure since Washington Mutual collapsed in 2008. In remarks today, Biden promises depositors will be able to get their money. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. Biden also said taxpayers won't be on the hook for the help Silicon Valley Bank gets. He added that those responsible for the collapse will be held accountable. The bank managers will be fired. And while depositors will give their money, people who bought shares in the bank will not be protected against their stock losses. This morning, federal bank regulators also reassured customers outside the failed Silicon Valley Bank that their money is safe. Here's what an FDIC employee told waiting customers. There is a lot of volume. There are a lot of people accessing their money. We're, you can take all your money, you can keep your money, you can put in your deposits. This is an active bank, this is a bridge bank. Okay? So feel free to transact business as usual. It's just a little, we ask for a little bit of time because of the volume. U.S. regulators stepped in after the bank collapsed. The bank's customers got access to all their deposits today. Regulators set up a new facility to give banks access to emergency funds, and the Fed made it easier for banks to borrow from it in emergencies. Meanwhile, another bank, the crypto-friendly Signature Bank, was seized by New York State regulators on Sunday. The FDIC said the action was to protect the U.S. economy as it claimed the bank posed a systemic risk. Let's go to NTD Charm Marshall now. Regulators have seized New York Regional Bank Signature Bank two days after shutting down Silicon Valley Bank in attempts to protect depositors. A number of big-name crypto clients like crypto lender Celsius and stablecoin issuer Paxos reportedly had funds tied up at Signature Bank. I asked crypto expert Aaron Rafferty if crypto traders should be worried. Uh, if there are more big bank runs, um, Bitcoin, there, there should be more flee to things like Bitcoin. Um, that is, you know, the fundamental uh, use case for that asset as, you know, a store of value. This customer didn't even know that state regulators had taken over the bank. 
there was a joint statement from the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and the U.S. Treasury Department that said all depositors who used Signature Bank would be made whole. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank caused stablecoin USDC to no longer be stable, dropping to about 88 cents on Saturday, but it's now back to 99 cents. If I'm looking at things like USDC, or if I'm looking at more unstable stable coins, right? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that, I might I might do a little bit more due diligence. I might not be leveraging those things. Uh. When incidents like this happen, people actually buy more crypto. Bitcoin's price is up to around twenty-four thousand dollars after dropping to around nineteen thousand on Friday. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And other than Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, First Republic Bank seems to be under stress as well. Shares of the bank plunged more than 60% today, despite the lender reassuring customers that their deposits are safe. In a statement on Sunday, the bank said it had access to more than $70 billion in unused liquidity. It added that it had received support from the Federal Reserve, the Federal Home Loan Bank, and J.P. Morgan Chase. But that didn't seem to have done much to soothe concerns. First Republic lists around $213 billion in total assets and is the 14th largest in the United States. Though it's not the only bank to see its shares drop. PacWest shares tumbled over 20% and Western Alliance Bank Corp shares fell by 47% today. So officials yesterday saying customers of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank will have access to all their deposits. The question is, where will the money come from? Taxpayers or somewhere else? Treasury officials say the money will come from Wall Street and large financial institutions, not from taxpayers. The plan is to cover the deposits with the Deposit Insurance Fund, or DIF. The DIF is a private insurance fund that insures all deposits above the FDIC's limit for member banks. That means the FDIC will cover at least $250,000 and the DIF will cover the rest. The DIF gets its money from interest on government bonds and quarterly fees from financial institutions. An unnamed Treasury official told CNBC the DIF has over $100 billion in it, more than enough to cover the two banks. Next, we take a closer look at who's to blame for Silicon Valley's banks for failure. There's many players in the story, the Federal Reserve, the depositors, regulators, and of course, the bank itself. We talk with someone from Silicon Valley, former tech executive Jennifer Stoikovich. She argues we shouldn't blame any one party in particular. We are in a convergence of a number of very bad situations all at once. The disaster that we're currently facing with SVB and, and similar banks that have failed over the last few days has been in the works for quite some time. We've known with interest rates being hiked month over month over the past year and a bit since the recession has begun that this was coming sooner rather than later. Stoikovich does think the bank should have been better run, though. According to her, the bank has a history of being against regulation. The bank itself was part of lobbying to reduce some of the stress test regulations several years ago under President Donald Trump. And if we had still had those regulations in place, there would have been annual stress testing for the bank, and we would have been able to identify much sooner that the bank was at risk. On the other hand, some feel the bank is mainly to blame. We talked with economist Nathan Lewis, principal at Kiku Capital Advisors, Lewis says the bank had invested way too much client money into long-term bonds, and this is not normal. 
And if they're bad managers and they uh, went under, um, let's just say it's their fault, right? Uh, I think I think there was a certain amount of sloppiness here uh, that other banks would not have done. Because the bank put so much money into long-term bonds, when the bank's clients wanted to withdraw that money, SVB had to sell those bonds at a very, very steep loss. This was the result of the Fed making interest rates very high, and high interest rates made those bonds lose a lot of value. Economist Nathan Lewis argues that this all happened because of bad management and that the bank didn't have appropriate risk management in place. As for regulation, Silicon Valley Bank was fully in compliance, as far as we know, that is. The fact that the bank collapsed despite being in full compliance means there may be regulatory holes to be filled. For example, like I said, the bank was forced to sell bonds in order to meet client withdrawals, and those bonds were sold at a steep loss. Now, the bank didn't report the drop in value because laws don't require it to. Some believe regulators should have seen this coming and should have created more regulations to prevent this from happening. At the same time, the Fed's rate hikes were what made all this possible. Not only did the rate hikes make the bank lose money, economist Nathan Lewis says it's what originally caused clients to pull out in the first place. People will obviously tend to be attracted to the higher rates available in money markets, which will tend to cause deposits to flow away from banks, which will cause banks to have to raise their deposit rates to be competitive. Uh, And that... um, will potentially put them in a negative cash flow position on their on their loan book. Since 2008, the Fed had implemented easy money policies. This means it kept interest rates low. Companies like Silicon Valley Bank became used to the low interest rate environment. But now the Fed's sudden rate hikes are causing chaos. Joining me now is Daniel Lakai, chief economist at Tresses Hedge Fund. Now, Daniel, I was reading your uh, Epoch Times article on this topic. Uh, let's just talk about who's accountable here. You know, you, you talked about a number of factors. Uh, the Fed was one of them. Maybe you talk a little bit about that. Well, if we look at the collapse of uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, one of the key aspects that we need to take into account is Silicon Valley Bank did not do anything that was out of the ordinary or that was against the regulation. What they did was exactly to follow what the mainstream economists and the mainstream uh, uh, policymakers were recommending, which was to invest as much as they could in sovereign bonds and in mortgage-backed securities. And those have created the demise of Silicon Valley Bank. SVB followed to the letter, I guess, uh, the recommendations of policymakers. So maybe if the Fed wasn't behind the curve, you remember them saying that uh, inflation was transitory. If they actually weren't behind the curve and then they tackled inflation correctly, perhaps this wouldn't have happened. What are your thoughts? Completely. I completely agree. Think about this. Uh, Why would Silicon Valley Bank not hedge the duration risk of its hold to maturity sovereign bond exposure? For a very simple reason. 
because they were following to a T what the Federal Reserve and mainstream economists were saying, that inflation was purely transitory, that there was absolutely no risk of persistent inflation, that it was because of the base effect, and therefore a uh, bond held to maturity was a very good investment and a very solid and safe investment. That was the problem. So if the Federal Reserve had started hiking rates earlier and reducing its uh, repurchase of, uh, of bonds and mortgage-backed securities earlier, certainly Silicon Valley Bank and other smaller banks would have not added more and more into this risky bet against the reality of elevated inflation. So what I see here is the Fed really believed inflation was transitory and SVB really believed in the Fed. Now, then what, what's the lesson here? What's, what do you take away from that? The lesson is that more regulation is not ever going to stop problems like this because it was regulation and it was mm, policymakers' uh, recommendations and comments what created this enormous accumulation of risk in assets that the banks perceived that had no risk. The big lesson is never believe that regulation created by those that build the bubbles is going to sort out a problem created by those bubbles. The narrative will be to blame risk management of the banks. But think about this. Imagine you are the risk manager of one of these banks, and you hear over and over and over again that inflation is something that you should not worry about because it's transitory. And with that, that uh, central banks would not need to raise rates massively. Okay, So if you're the risk manager, what are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm owning a very safe asset that is going to provide a stable value throughout periods of volatility. And therefore, I don't need to hedge the duration risk because the duration risk is very limited according to what everybody is saying about transitory inflation. Then central banks realized, one, that inflation was not transitory. Second, they needed to hike rates. And those sitting on those enormous portfolios of sovereign bonds found that what they were sitting did not provide the level of stability in the asset base that they expected. So on the one hand, the investments in the risky part of the asset base moved and, and uh, fell, and the investments in the safe, allegedly stable, allegedly low-risk part of the asset base also fell. Yeah, and I think when risk managers uh, realized what's happening, I think it may have been too late. It's a very interesting discussion, and uh, thank you very much for talking to me about it today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Over in the UK, HSBC is stepping in to calm nerves. It will acquire the UK operations of Silicon Valley Bank for a token of one pound or just over a dollar. Today, HSBC Chief Executive Noel Quinn said acquiring SVB UK made strategic sense. The Bank of England said the UK banking system was safe and sound and well capitalized. It said no other lenders in the country were materially affected. 
The deal brings to an end a frantic weekend of talks between government regulators and prospective buyers. UK Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt today said ministers had to act to save the country's tech sector. We were faced with a situation where uh, we could have seen some of our most important companies, our most strategic companies, uh, wiped out, and that would have been extremely dangerous. We have built, over the last decade, the third largest tech economy in the world, after only China and the United States. So it's very important to us, as a country, that this sector thrives. SVB UK had loans of around $6.6 billion as of late last week, and HSBC says the takeover is effective immediately. However, the collapse of SVB has raised jitters over the health of the whole sector. European markets closed down over 2%. In other news, President Biden approved a controversial oil drilling project in Alaska. Biden gave the green light for the ConocoPhillips Willow Project today. It's a victory for the proponents of the venture who say it's a much-needed source of revenue and jobs for the remote region. The Willow Project will include three drilling pads instead of two. The company and a bipartisan group of Alaskan lawmakers had lobbied that the project would not make economically sense with just two pads. The final scope of the project will be 68,000 acres less than the oil company was initially seeking. Approval for the Willow Project is a major blow to climate groups who have argued that it will pose health and environmental risks with its carbon pollution. Meanwhile, the Biden administration announced it will prevent or limit oil drilling in some other areas of Alaska and the Arctic Ocean, about 16 million acres in total, citing protection of important habitat. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, General Motors looking into AI-powered chat GPT. How could GM use the chatbot? Apple's annual shareholder meeting just took place. We talked to one of the shareholders who they proposed at the meeting. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. General Motors is exploring uses for ChatGPT as part of its broader collaboration with Microsoft. The software could allow drivers to access information from an owner's manual or program functions. In 2021, GM partnered with Microsoft to accelerate the commercialization of driverless vehicles. Earlier this year, Microsoft announced a multi-billion dollar investment in ChatGPT owner OpenAI. The tech giant said it aims to add the chatbot's technology into all of its products. Microsoft and other big tech companies have been ramping up efforts to embed more technology into vehicles. Some Apple shareholders are concerned about the iPhone maker's ties to China, and they want Apple to be more transparent about the risks. National Center for Public Policy Research is one of them, and they raised the issue at Apple's annual shareholder meeting last Friday. We spoke to someone from the organization earlier today. Joining me now is Paul Chester, Director of Corporate Integrity Project at National Legal and Policy Center. Now, Paul, I understand you were at the Apple annual annual shareholder meeting. Um, You raised some concerns about Apple's exposure to China. Maybe to start off, uh, tell us a little bit more about this. 
Sure. Well, we brought a shareholder proposal at Apple, and we've got an actually the same proposal at seven or eight other companies, uh, asking them to disclose the degree of their risk of doing business in China and or their supply chain or anything they do that's got them entangled with China. And of course, Apple is one of the biggest uh, U.S.-based multinationals that have uh, uh, extreme exposure to China. So we're we were asking our fellow shareholders to vote uh, in support of our proposal that asked Apple to produce a report annually to uh, disclose whatever risks they have. Yeah, sure. Let's let's get into it. What are the risks? Well, uh, it was very it was very much in the news ahead of the uh, holiday shopping season last year that. Uh, with when uh, Chairman Xi uh, instituted the zero COVID policies in China and shut down factories, made people stay in their homes, and then there were uh, protests that you don't hardly ever see in China. As a result of that, it really uh, inhibited the supply uh, chain for Apple, especially with their iPhone 14s, to the point where they they lost a lot a great deal of production, ahead of, again, ahead of the sh holiday shopping season. And it sent CEO Tim Cook scrambling to get this production ramped up in other countries because China was locked down. But then there's also the, just the cost of doing business with a communist government. All these companies that do business there are ultimately subject to the, what the, the government tells them to do. Apple's big exposure and vulnerability is with the supply chain and being so cooperative with the, with the communist government. I'm curious, what was uh, other shareholders' response and what was Apple's response to your proposal? Well, Apple... Uh, uh, opposed it, and all, all the companies where we have this proposal have have opposed it. Um, it's it's on the proxy. They're being presented at the meetings. They oppose it on the grounds that well, this this isn't really a significant enough issue. It's not that important to our, our shareholders. It costs a lot of money to prepare these reports every year, uh, and we disclose these types of risks in our our annual report that's filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and they think that's sufficient. Well, but our argument was, well, China's a unique situation. China is engaged in these vast human rights uh, 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 violations. They're saber rattling against Taiwan. Uh, again, this points to an extreme risk among these companies uh, with doing business in China, and it's it's shareholders' right to know what these are. At Apple, shareholder not enough shareholders supported our proposal, and that has to a lot of that goes to institutional shareholders like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, and all these large fund managers who see it as more of a risk, I guess, to have this specific type of a transparency report, and, not, and they don't want to upset China by having such a thing out on the internet. If Apple were to, to produce a sincere, accurate, comprehensive report on the risks in Ch their risks in China, it would it would be uh, it would inform shareholders much more and in the public as well as the whether they even want to do business with Apple, whether they want to purchase uh, uh, products made by Apple or subscribe to their services like iTunes and, and Apple TV. All right. Thank you very much today, Paul. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. If you're looking to take your investing to a new level this year, experts recommend you take a humble approach. 
With stocks, real estate, and even crypto growing more volatile, what can you do to grow your portfolio? In this next story, one financial expert has five tips to become a better investor this year. Investors looking to grow their hard-earned money are facing increasingly volatile markets in 2023. A shaky stock market, a rocky real estate industry, and an imploding crypto sector. So what can you do now to protect your assets and better manage your portfolio? Take the time to educate before you allocate and, and, you know, make sure that you do your homework. Financial expert Lynette Calfani-Cox has five tips to help you this year. The first one is to do your research before investing in any market. And number two, have a plan. Once you understand the risks, figure out how much you can invest, especially amid soaring inflation. Small amounts of money count too when it comes to investing. So often people fail to even begin because they say, well, I don't have $5,000 to start or I don't have a big lump sum of money to put into the markets. Three, diversify your investments. Calfani Cox recommends avoiding an over-concentration in one area. And number four, treat crypto with extreme caution, especially after two main banks for crypto companies shut down this month, adding another blow to the crypto industry, which is still struggling to recover from last year's crippling crypto winter that pushed Bitcoin down nearly 65%. Don't just throw your money into something uh, in the short run thinking, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be part of my get rich quick scheme. It simply doesn't work like that. And finally, know your limits. No matter how much research you've done, be a humble investor. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.